passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. AEW, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the buck stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. It is time for Rewind to Dynamite. I am John Pollock, and joining me by himself this week, it is the representation from Up Next. He is one Davey Portman, who is here. Hello, Davey. Hello, hello, hello. How are you, John? I'm doing well. Um, I'm. Uh, this is a post-Dynamite, a very busy edition of Dynamite, so I'm still catching my breath and uh, doing the, the crazy uh, five-minute interlude between Dynamite ending and the show starting. How, how are you doing? I, yeah, pr- pretty good. Pretty good. Been a nice day. Uh, had recorded a, a show with Braden earlier for the for the Patreon, and yeah, pr- pretty pretty chilled. Got to uh, got to relax a bit today before Dynamite, which is nice because it's it's kind of wild. As soon as it hits eight o'clock, uh, doesn't really stop. How, how do you, how do you find note taking for Dynamite in comparison to everything else? I, I've kind of had to scale back. Like it's it's just too much. I kind of just bullet point what happens and like the odd thought and hope that my memory can kind of uh and like conversation can jolt that because otherwise it's you never look up at the screen because there's always something happening and to be fair 2.0 is kind of like that as well they cram in so many segments in that show it's pretty relentless yeah, I, I will say that the dynamite is definitely the the most intense because I've also got Sino's like running report on the site that I'm constantly updating, and then it's uh, uh, it, it's just all of it at once. So it's a uh, it's a busy show, but we we have plenty to talk about from dynamite. I don't think you could possibly. I mean, if if Braden comes home tonight and says, "Hey, what happened on dynamite tonight?" I mean, <laughs> like, how do you even answer that that question other than just? Watch the goddamn show. I mean, they even tried to squeeze an angle in like the last five seconds of the show tonight. Just, I was ready. It, it ended. I'm, I'm setting up, and then, oh, okay, uh, we're DDTing Dragon Lee here as well. Okay. Yeah, it was, uh, it, it was quite the show. I, I, I will say that uh, we will be getting into. But uh, off the top, I just want to let everybody know that we are winding down our G1 climax coverage. Uh, we have uh, a show from Tuesday up with uh, Mike Murray chatting about the final round robin matches. Earlier today, I did a show with Bruce Lord going through uh, today's semifinal matches, and then on Thursday, uh, Bruce and I are going to be going live for all cafe members at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So you will get the the live link in your inbox Thursday morning. Uh, with how you can join us live at 1 Eastern. We'll go through the finals. We're also going to hand out our G1 awards. Best match, 
top performers, and we'll also uh, dole out worst performer, worst matches as well to to keep it all uh, balanced. But uh, that is wrapping up, and Thursday will be a very busy day because uh, the wellness policy is dropping with Jordan Goodman and Neil Flanagan. Uh, they will be live in the afternoon, and then a free edition of MCU Later with Rich and Melissa Fan joining WH Park to go over episode one of She-Hulk. So very busy uh, day here at Post Wrestling, and uh, what is happening uh, across town in up Nixville? Well, we've got our uh, review of last night's NXT Heat Wave. That's up on the Up Next feed um, with uh, some news coming out of that one with the whole NXT UK uh, crossover starting to happen. Um, we also recorded a show earlier today uh, called Was Next for our Patreon, where we're talking all about the October 23rd, 2013 edition of NXT, uh, featuring uh, former tag partners Adrian Neville and Corey Graves going at it. You've got uh, Sasha Banks in full boss mode with the BFFs taking on Emma. Uh, yeah, that's, that's always quite a fun show uh, to look back and kind of see where they are now. And then, John, I mean, I know today we're, we're celebrating dragons and I'm sure we're going to have a lot of dragon conversation as the show goes on. But this Friday is National Orangutan Day. I mean, um, do you have to even tell people and remind them? I mean, this is a national holiday for most. I mean, unfortunately, you're going to be covering SmackDown and, and Rampage this Orangutan Day. But how do you normally celebrate your Orangutan Days, John? Uh, you know what? It's uh, Sometimes it's... Uh, it's going out for a nice special lunch. I get the family together. We all reminisce about our our fellow uh, uh, our fellow experiences when it comes to orangutans because everyone's got an orangutan story from their history. So that's always we usually do buffet. That's okay. that's kind of that's our kind of uh, that, that's to, our go to the Mandarin or something. Uh, Mandarin <laughs> is more rhinoceros uh, day, but oh, okay, you know orangutans sometimes. Sometimes it depends. Well, we're going to be celebrating Orangutan Day by talking about uh, probably the greatest orangutan movie ever made, Dunstan Checks In. Uh, this has been in the works. Sorry, is there a, a worse? Time. Is there a, like the worst orangutan movie ever made? I mean, what, what, how deep does the list go, Davey, when you were researching titles of uh, how to celebrate? Uh, to be honest, we, we just wanted to talk about this film and we were trying <laughs> to just find a way to tie it in. And it just happens this Friday's Orangutan Day. That's so wonderful. It's, it's win-win. So, yep, we're talking about that. Next week, we've got coming up uh, a best match ever, looking at Rey Mysterio uh, to kind of belatedly celebrate his 20 years in WWE and uh, looking at A Few Good Men, which is our man Neil's uh, pick for us to review. So going to be looking at that film as well. And uh, always a lot going on. I believe I'm, I'm joining Scrump and Kate from Montreal this weekend uh, okay. to talk all about Better Call Saul. Uh, because we just had the series finale of that, wrapping up kind of 13 years of the whole Breaking Bad story. So excited to talk to those two about that. Uh, but always a lot going on uh, with the Up Next lads. Yes. So uh, go check out all of that. They also recently did a review of Heat Wave, 1998. So you, you got all Heat Waves covered. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. We've, uh, I guess if they do another one, we'll have to do 99 next year. Yeah, very very different shows from uh, 1998 and 2022, but maybe you can you can contrast um, the um, the the attitudes and um, uh, content of the time in 1998 and, and juxtapose it to what we saw on Tuesday night. So all of that happening uh, with up next. So I definitely recommend everyone go check all of that out. 
And we have a few news items uh, to get to before tonight's Dynamite review. Uh, the Wall Street Journal put out their, their latest report, which, I mean, whenever the Wall Street Journal reports something, you know Stanford, Connecticut is just uh, uh, sounding the alarm. But um, this one, uh, quite honestly, if you had been following uh, Brandon Thurston's uh, reporting over the last week and listened to WrestleNomics, I mean, he largely connected the dots here and pretty much hit the nail on the head that this outstanding $5 million that was the latest unrecorded expenses that WWE discovered in relation to Vince McMahon, um, these did not have anything to do with uh, NDAs, but rather uh, donations to the Donald J. Trump Foundation. And in the article, which you can catch on the Wall Street Journal site, uh, there was a WWE attorney that said that the payments should have been recorded as business expenses, and they were payments that benefited the company, although not stating how they benefited the company. And the same attorney did not dispute that the donations were related uh, to Donald Trump's appearances, uh, both in 2007 in relation to WrestleMania 23 and the Battle of the Billionaires and 2009 uh, when he came in, uh, bought Raw and then sold Raw back to Vince McMahon. So, I I mean, this is one where it's more so just a a continuation of the unrecorded expenses for Vince McMahon. But at, at the same time, it's. Because Donald Trump is attached, do you see this one getting um, more more coverage just because of the the players involved here, uh, Davey? Or do you think that this is kind of a story that's there's a lot bigger uh, things going on with Donald Trump than something involving Vince McMahon? Yeah, I mean, I kind of feel with with both of them, there's there's bigger stuff going on. Um, I mean, we all know the McMahons are kind of uh, Trump, some of Trump's biggest donors, and they've been friends and stuff. I don't think that's any kind of big secret. That is being revealed. They're pretty much like responsible for like almost all the donations that have come to the Donald J. Trump Foundation were courtesy of, you know, you know, these these payments represent like so much of what that foundation received, especially in those years. So so the story like it was it was unreported and it was kind of linked to his appearances. So I don't again, this is more so just it. It should have been. It's it's money that should have been recorded as company expenses. I mean, this on its own, I, I don't feel would have been a. Um, well, it, it, it's hard to say um, when it comes to just like it has been more so the the handling of these expenses than the actual actions that they uh, represented. More so in in relation to the NDAs that it seemed that Vince McMahon was going to weather that storm. It was only once you're talking about um, potential issues with the SEC and, you know, the handling of, you know, expenses as they're related to a, a public company that seemed to be the, what was the uh, the poison pill for Vince McMahon. Um, also noted in all of this is um, the fact that in relation to WrestleMania 23, that Mr. Trump had his associates review the contract to ensure that under no circumstances would Mr. McMahon be allowed to shave his head, even if Mr. Trump's wrestler, that being Bobby Lashley, dropped dead in the ring, this person said. That's how uh, meticulous Donald Trump was um, to make sure there was not going to be any double cross at WrestleMania, Davey. Uh, <laughs> and Donald Trump was not going to you know, be, be held, held down and shaved bald by, by any means here uh, per the letter of the contract. He'd clearly been watching all the multiple Montreal Screwjob documentaries and was like, there's no way that's happened to me and this, this head of hair. I mean, t- 
Donald Trump was not going to let Sean put him in his own finisher in Montreal. There was no way. He's not giving him that that chance. I mean, a savvy operator, this uh, Donald Trump, when it comes to uh, pro wrestling contracts. But um, that that is the latest. I definitely encourage people to uh, listen to the latest uh, WrestleNomics because Brandon um, went really deep into all of this and just tying it together. Um, and, and the fact that this five million linked up with like this has been the source of, you know, questions over the years about these uh, funds because originally the Donald J. Trump Foundation had reported it as donations from WWE and then it was actually Vince McMahon that made the donations and making that kind of um, that that separation there as well. But that whole story is up on the Wall Street Journal site with uh, Ted Mann and Joe uh, Palazzolo. Uh, we also have uh, the G1 Climax. Are you uh, did you get to see any of the semifinal matches uh, earlier today, Davey? I, I watched uh, Naito Osprey. Oh, what did you think of the match? Oh, tremendous. Yeah, awesome. Um, this... And and goes well with my predictions as well, i got to say. I, I know I can't win the thing, but I'm hoping for maybe a bronze in the, in the E block. Well, yeah, we will, we will have the contest winners announced on Thursday. So everyone can tune into that and, and find out how, how Davey performed and how the entire uh, E block uh, uh, turned out. Uh, some, some interesting findings here on, on this final day. But yeah, this was uh, an incredible match. I thought a uh, match of the tournament. I, I thought really like this would probably up there among all time G1 matches. Like I just thought this match was out of this world. I think it's going to be a very solid contender for, for match of the year. And they have put out the whole card for Thursday. So in the main event, it will be Will Ospreay and Kazuchika Okada to determine uh, the G1 winner. And then underneath, we're going to have um, a lot of tag matches. Jay White and Taiji Shimori against Tamatanga and Kushida. Hiroshi Tanahashi and David Finley against the Good Brothers. Shingo Takagi and Hiromu against Kenta and El Fantasmo. Lance Archer, Zack Sabre Jr. and Taichi against Tetsuya Naito, Sonata and Bushi. Juice Robinson, Bad Luck Folly and Chase Owens against Great Okan, Aaron Hanare and Jeff Cobb. Jonah and Bad Dude Tito against Tom Lawler and Royce Isaacs. And it opens with an eight-man tag. Evil, Yujiro Sho and Dick Togo against Hiroki Goto, Tomohiro Ishii, Ishihashi, and Yo. So there you have it. Their, their third show at, uh, at Budokan Hall. How much of the G1 were you following uh, this season, Davey? Have you kind of just been cherry-picking matches? Uh, and, you know, I, I know the three of us kind of talked about this with uh, G1 prior, but th- this is certainly one where I think um, interest has waned uh, throughout the tournament. But I do sense a lot of people kind of checking in for these final couple of nights when, you know, uh, the winner's going to be decided. Yeah, it's definitely the least I've ever watched G1 since kind of getting on board a few years ago. Um, I've tried to cherry pick. I've been keeping up with with your kind of daily shows um, covering the G1 to kind of hear what's been good, what hasn't been good, where the standings are, all that kind of stuff. I just, the... The kind of format hasn't really interested me too much. I feel you. I feel it's taken away from some kind of bigger matches. You, you're used to getting on this uh, when it's just the two blocks of ten, um, and just I think that's what made Naito and Osprey so special. Is it felt fresh, and I think so much over the last kind of three years with New Japan is nothing. Nothing's fresh. Even when they announce Shingo and Osprey, you go, oh, it's going to be great, but I. I have seen that match four times in the last two years or whatever it is. So uh, I think that's why kind of Naito and Osprey uh, really hit with me because it did feel uh, fresh, new, and and obviously was a, a great match on top of that all. 
Yeah, I'd say after watching like the the new format in action this year, I think the two blocks is the the superior method. I just think it's a lot easier for fans to follow. It's um, to me just easier for a lot of the stories that are, are going on. I think the gaps kind of t- took away some of the momentum for for different performers. I also think twenty four is a lot of people to to put into this tournament. I don't know if they'll scale that down, but I am curious if they if they revert back to two blocks for next year. Yeah, I, I hope they do, 100%. And last thing here is just the the ratings from the last two nights. Raw was first on cable for the fourth consecutive week, uh, down 4% with uh, 1,978,000 viewers and a .53, almost identical uh, to last week. Um, so 18 to 34, they did see a bit of a drop of uh, 17%, but this was uh, a show that it was back to the usual pattern where it was the third hour that fell. If you remember last week, the third hour actually beat out hour one, but this week... This week, it was back to the normal pattern with the second hour being the most watched. And then Heat Wave, uh, maybe maybe a surprise to some, maybe not others, but this was their most watched episode of the year. Most watched going back to uh, Halloween Havoc of last October with 723,000 viewers, up 21% this week and placing fifth on cable. Very strong performance by NXT. And it was their second highest 18 to 49 number of the year with uh, 0.18 in that demo. Um, everything was up. Women 18 to 49 was uh, up significantly over uh, most of what they have uh, done this year as well. But this was this was a very good number for Heatwave, and I thought it was a pretty enjoyable show overall. I thought that uh, Braun Breaker and JD McDonough had really great chemistry together in the main event. Yeah, I think it was more uh, the most interesting show they've put on for a while, and obviously this is the first kind of uh, NXT branded show since the uh, Triple H takeover as well. So that might have had a bit of a factor. Uh, for me, my interest was kind of in the Santos Escobar and Tony D'Angelo match because that's a story that they have been going for quite a few months. And especially now, when as soon as you do a loser leaves town kind of gimmick and the the climate now on the main roster with the changes, uh, I definitely think there was some interest there with what's going to happen with Santos and Legado and whether we'll see him uh, leave NXT. Um, and also the... Giovanni Vinci, Carmelo Hayes match. They, they, they had a very good match. Very yeah, good match. And that was definitely one that was appealing to me beforehand. So I, I think of the of these kind of special shows they've done, I thought this was probably one of the stronger cards they presented since the 2.0 takeover. Is there anyone that jumps out? I, I guess, you know, Santos Escobar would probably be the, near the top of the list, but any other acts that you could see um, maybe making the transition now that they're they're starting to to look at, you know, replenishing rosters? Is there anyone that that you could see as being kind of head and shoulders above others when it comes to decision-making time? I think as an act, I think Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams are, are ready. I think Trick could benefit with a bit more time in NXT for... Uh, for the wrestling but yeah. as a as a tandem i think they're great and i think they're completely ready uh to go up um as an act um giovanni vinci i wonder if eventually you'll see him rejoin uh his friends uh gunther and what's his name now marcel Bartel, Lud- ludwig kaiser. kaiser yeah we'll be interested to see if um if he joins then but i do actually think of the of the kind of people who've come over from the black and gold brand this kind of uh, reinvention of Vinci has benefited him. I think he's actually gained uh, from this change and, and solidifying him as more of a singles act. 
it, it's really good for him because, man, he was just left as the odd man out and was just like here he was part of this cool act and then dropped cold and had to reinvent himself and seems like he's going to land on his feet out of all of this. And yeah, that had a really great performance, I thought, with with Hayes in that opener on Tuesday night. So if you want a whole review of Heatwave, uh, do check out uh, Tuesday's Up Next with Braden and Davey. Uh, but we now uh, dive into Dynamite and we'll be taking your feedback at the end. So if you want to get in any of your Super Chats or up at the forum, uh, you can do so and we will get to your your questions and comments. So... Charleston, West Virginia, the Charleston Coliseum. Who knew what kind of a show that they were going to be getting on the, on this show? Uh, quite the episode of Dynamite. Uh, House of Dragon uh, promoted all over here, and we got... Uh, they tried to get every dragon that they reasonably could onto this show. Uh, so uh, they had a House of Dragon-themed open uh, all over the guardrails, canvas. I mean, how did you feel the, the promotion came across for House of Dragon? I thought it was great. I actually really liked this opening video they did of the kind of trailer for House of Dragons mixed right. in with uh, all the feuds going into this show. Um, when you kind of compare this sort of cross-promotion compared to the what, Army of the Dead stuff we had uh, a year or so ago um, in WWE, it, it's night and day. I think this is this is a great way to do it. And tying things in, like having Ricky the Dragon steamboat there and the the dragon versus the dragon slayer. I, th- I thought it was pretty smart. Yeah. And honestly, like we can look at all the angles and stuff. It's like this kind of stuff is, is very, very valuable for AEW standing um, w- within Warner Brothers discovery and seeing this as, hey, this is one of our top shows on cable that we can use as a promotional vehicle for a, our big projects. And it, this is not the first time uh, that they've utilized them. So th- this stuff to me is always uh, very important for the, the integration. But CM Punk starts the show and he comes out and as he's walking down the stage, he he thinks about jumping into the crowd, but then quickly stops and just shakes his head. No, there's there's not going to be any 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 crowd dive here. And he just makes his way to the ring and there's a massive chant for Punk. He has a challenge to make for someone from around these parts in Virginia. And he calls out Hangman Page, who can have his rematch right now. There is no answer, and Punk says, that's not cowboy shit, that's coward shit. And he ends it by stating that the apology needs to be as loud and public as the disrespect. Everyone wants to be the champ until it's time to do champ shit. So this was a very interesting start to this promo and uh, taking us back to um, the, the title change and the promo uh, leading into their match by, by Hangman Page just running down Punk and... Uh, reigniting this yeah not not where i thought it was going at all um and throughout this whole promo we it's interesting because uh obviously we've had this this roadblock with punk's injury but i i can see seeds being planted for a, a hill turn with punk because all these baby faces in the company are kind of saying we see through your shit and but the crowd are still loving this guy. He hasn't done anything particularly heelish. But this here kind of... Um, wasn't it Shawn Michaels once called out Undertaker when he knew he'd done a tape thing so Undertaker couldn't come out and yes. kind of did it on the fly? Yes, they did. That. Is, I, I think they, they went over this on one, one of those biographies, I think. Yeah. yeah, and that's the kind of vibe I was getting here with Punk kind of knowing Hangman's not there, but let's call him out to make him look weak. Because the... The Hangman character, if he was there, would absolutely come out. But it just makes him look 
uh, a bit of a putz not showing up. So it was just, it was a really interesting kind of start because you think we're going right to, okay, we're getting Punk Moxley. He's going to address Mox being interim champion and make this match happen. Uh, but going after Hangman, who he's still kind of pissed off from the comments he made months ago before their championship match was was an interesting twist. So, like, this was, like, a full heel promo by Punk, but it was under the guise of, like, your old, like, the, the Michael Hayes rule that the best heels are the ones that believe they are right. And Punk is constantly running down all the fans' favorites, and it's it, – but he keeps going back. Tell me when I'm telling lies as he runs down their favorites. And this audience, it was almost like, man, we love Punk, but we don't want to hear him, uh, you know, speak ill of all of, uh, of all these guys. He says that John Moxley can be number one in the fans' hearts, but there's only one champion. And Moxley has always been number two. And he's the third best guy in his own group, a reoccurring theme in his career. And, and the crowd just ate that one up. Uh, Punk says he is the best. He just keeps going. Tell me when I'm lying. He says that Moxley was the interim champion. Look it up. It means temporary. And he won't even test himself against his best friend. And then refers to Eddie Kingston as only the third best Eddie that Punk has ever faced. And the second best Kingston he's ever shared a locker room with. And this crowd, they just thought these were like daggers uh, being delivered here. So So who's the third Eddie? Okay. So I... (laughs) Uh, on uh, on Pro Wrestling Database, I looked this up. So everyone, of, of course, goes to Eddie Guerrero. And there are two potential candidates that this could be. Uh, that being Fast Eddie Vegas and Eddie Craven, who he faced in a tag match in OVW, I believe, in 2006. So, I mean, th- these are some deep cuts for anyone that really wants to go down the path and, and ranking Eddie Kingston behind them. What's your favorite Eddie Vegas match, John? Oh, you know what? Um what happens in a Eddie Vegas match usually stays in an Eddie <laughs> Vegas match. It doesn't uh, necessarily uh, bring back t- too many memories, but uh, yeah, he was he was one of those guys in um, uh, ROH and I think some uh, some Full Impact Pro. Um, but yeah, this this required some research, and he's looking to test himself and his foot at All Out. And then the notes that Moxley isn't even going to be the first John that he's beaten in Chicago. Dude, th- this crowd just loved all of this guess the, guess the reference uh, game that CM Punk was introduced for them. And as Wild Thing starts, Punk is just groaning at how long it's going to take Moxley. And he just starts doing Snow Angels in the ring. An- another callback to, uh, to asshole Punk. I, I thought Punk was just awesome here. I thought this was like a fantastic promo. And it was enough rooted in a guy that's just completely you know he is speaking his truth and there's going and and this was just a big personal issue between these two and you're gonna have your punk fans and your moxley fans but this was certainly directing punk in a a heel direction and as you mentioned you have all of these baby faces lined up for him besides uh moxley you've got kingston you've got hangman and you've got mjf down down the road as well as an option whenever that plays itself out yeah i definitely found it really interesting and um the punk's known for these you know his pipe bombs and stuff but it's this is definitely the most heelish he's been so far but we know these crowds kind of whenever you do the insider stuff i'm thinking of like the the scene of Reigns feud when they did that the first time. Right. And yep. it, it's, I'm getting all that kind of, uh, that kind of vibe with this and the crowd tend to like it. And especially when you're, well, we thought we had what three weeks before the match. Now you're building a feud for next week. You kind of needed to 
like bring out the knights tonight to get this feud ready. And I think it absolutely did that. Yeah, Moxley is out and he gets into the ring, says, oh, look at Punk dropping pipe bombs while you're writing checks with your mouth that your body can't cash, living in a fantasy world, and that Punk usually isn't even the best wrestler in catering. All the words you spit into a mic don't mean shit. The title on your shoulder doesn't mean shit, which Punk took exception to. But then Moxley says the belt on my shoulder doesn't mean shit until I beat you. Moxley, uh, Punk says, you can be the heart and soul. I'll be the dollars and cents. And Moxley is sick of the term interim and says that everyone knows that Punk only came to AEW because he had run out of money. And Moxley says, the fighting spirit left you a long time ago and challenges Punk to do something about it. Punk explains that they have a pay-per-view match, and I'm afraid if I touch you, you're going to bleed all over me. So they go nose to nose, and then Moxley leans in and kisses the guy. And Punk comes back, slaps him hard, and they come to blows with the officials separating them, uh, including one Ace Steel here, uh, who played Donald Trump once on Raw, tying uh, today's news in with, uh, with Dynamite programming. Um, so we get the, the big separation. I, I thought this was a tremendous segment, and by the end of it, I was like, "Man, you've got the, like what feels like a really big pay per view match." That was my thinking at eight fifteen p.m. Oh, absolutely! This did all the work you needed uh, for this feud. I found the the line, uh, "You'll be the heart and soul; I'll be the dollars and cents." Mm-hmm. Absolutely, the most heelish thing he said because right since he's been back, it's been. It's been about the wrestling and his love for wrestling was killed by the other company. And then he's seen this place where wrestlers get to be wrestlers and uh, there's this camaraderie there and all that. And now he's just saying, I'm here for the, I make the money for this company. I'm the dollars and cents. Uh, Was this too much of a shift for for Punk? Like just abruptly? I, I don't think so because it's, it's, it's him getting at Mox. Mox is coming at him with stuff as well. I think you're, uh, you've seen quite a few times. You saw this with the, the Eddie feud where kind of both guys at times don't come across the best. You know, when you're, you're fighting with people, sometimes you might say the wrong thing or, or whatever. And I, I think at the moment, it's these two characters are so beloved by the fans where they're going to pick who they want to go for. If you're a punk fan, this isn't going to put you off punk. Yeah, I I think sometimes like we can really like break the, these things down and dissect and kind of my rule of thumb is that after this segment, were you more or less interested in this match? I was super interested in this match by the end of this segment. I thought both guys were fantastic and like this for a lot, it was, you know, looking at, at this match and it's like, OK, it's punk in Chicago, but Moxie's been having this great run. And by the end of this, I was like, man, this is this feels like a big match for AEW. But uh, more on that to come. We go to the back and Shivani is with powerhouse Hobbs and he asked why he turned on Ricky Starks. And Hobbs says he doesn't need friends. And Ricky Starks told the world that he was OK with losing. And Hobbs isn't. He Starks walked around like he was God's gift to the business and you held on to me to protect you as champion and you couldn't do it. I don't just break backs. I break necks. And he also has something for the factory. So a bunch going on here with one uh, powerhouse Hobbs. And I'm interested to see if this gets a pay-per-view slot, if this ends up on one of the Chicago TVs, because this is one where you're seeing all these programs coming together, Davey, and how many get on the pay-per-view. This is certainly one that is building up. Um, I would think it gets on the pay-per-view, but I don't know if that's a guarantee unless we're going to have like some 12, 13, 14 match pay-per-view 
Yeah, I mean, we've seen from the last few pay-per-views that some of these cards come together right at the last minute. And there's there's still a lot of big players who haven't got a role yet. But I think this has been... I loved the turn a couple of weeks ago. I thought it was done so, so well. And I think Hobbs just sounds so comfortable in this role now. Um, so the, the whole thing has really benefited both guys. And I would like to see them have, have the chance at the pay-per-view to absolutely kill it. Um, but just when you're looking at kind of star power throughout, it could be one that gets bumped. Uh, Ricky Steamboat is introduced as a guest commentator, or sorry, the guest timekeeper is Jericho that's out on commentary, and we're starting things off uh, with the two out of three falls match between Daniel Garcia and Brian Danielson. And we start off, Danielson comes over, he shakes hands with Ricky Steamboat, and they note that Garcia's uh, sharpshooter is now the Dragon Tamer that uh, Jericho has anointed it. So they start off, it's it's a great grappling sequence. We see uh, Garcia going for a knee bar, Danielson for the heel hook, and Garcia is just playfully kicking at Danielson, who fires back with kicks in the corner. Danielson misses a knee off the apron, gets suplexed on the floor, and then into the ring, uh, the sharpshooter gets countered with a triangle from Danielson, but Garcia lifts him up for a pile driver, applying the dragon sleeper, and Bryce Rumsberg calls it off at around 922, so Garcia takes the first fall. Yeah, that transition from the the uh, dragon tamer into the triangle to the pile driver was just so seamless and great. And Danielson's just his punches, his body shots in this whole first uh, first fall, they just look so painful. He's so mean with his offense. Just right away, you had me. The, these two have had this is what their third match now. Yeah, um, you know what you're getting into, so it's just sit back and enjoy. Yeah, I mean the, um, the the chemistry is just off the charts that the that these guys have, and this you you could see was like a really well paced and structured match. And two out of three falls matches they can be very tough to do, especially when we're talking. They wanted to go long, and you're on TV, and they had a ton of like picture and pictures and breaks. But I I found myself like glued during these pictures and uh, picture and picture because they were doing a lot of interesting stuff. Um, the second fall begins, and he's stomping Danielson. The crowd is booing him, and Danielson is all dazed and gets drop-kicked in the corner, and Danielson just collapses, and Garcia's doing the yes chant to mock the fans, and DDTs Danielson onto the exposed floor, busting him open, and then uses the dragon, sl- the dragon sleeper, but Danielson has one last breath here, and he flips Garcia off of his back and catches him with a cover uh, to even it out, but it's, it's really played up that Garcia just got caught and Danielson was lucky to get this fall so he's still sort of uh battling from underneath even though they're evened up in the in the falls Danielson's just got such this this great gift because you know about his concussions and neck injuries and all that and his selling is just so so good where you're genuinely concerned for this guy when anything happens that that spike pile driver the DDT on the floor he's You're seeing the the blood coming from him, his chest just so raw. And his like dazed eyes look, you go, Okay, are you are you just acting now, Brian, or or is there something seriously wrong? And he's he gets me every every match. He comes back and does this and uh he's just he's just a master at it. I'm sure many would would look at it as like the, the, this curse, but in his line of work, it's a blessing. Like his skin complexion and just how much he bruises up. I mean, this guy looks like he's been hit by a car after these matches, just oh, all yeah. over the place. Um, yeah, just, he should just... never tan. Never tan. <laughs> 
So the third fall, um, we see we see Danielson uh, come alive here after putting Garcia in a tree of woe. They end up on the turnbuckle, and Danielson hits a spider German, followed by a missile dropkick, and then hits a tope suicida through the corner and was lucky because his legs kind of caught on to the middle rope coming down but did uh, finish the dive. Uh, they each are holding on to their arms and they pull the other into the post. Uh, so they're down. They did a count out tease before getting in. And then they're just on their knees. And Danielson sits cross-legged. He eats these chops. Then he starts eating these PKs, but just keeps rising up, like doing a sit-up back into the seated position and eating these strikes from Garcia until getting to his feet and stopping the last PK with a big forearm smash. Kicks kicks in the chest of Garcia, and Garcia comes back, and he gets the dragon tamer applied and leans far back enough that Danielson can get the, uh, get the grip around the neck and turn it into the label lock. Garcia it changes it over and Garcia hits the Busaiku knee, locks the hands and they trade forearms. At one point, JR just yells, God, I love this. And Garcia is dropped with big elbows. They hold on to the wrists and Garcia gets a sweep. He starts stomping down on Danielson, but Danielson gets up, uh, goes for the triangle. And again, Garcia tries for the pile driver, but this time Danielson is ready for it. Um, you know, learning from the first fall and he transitions it to the label lock, more elbows, and he just holds on to the label lock as Garcia goes out. This one went 25 minutes and 58 seconds and Danielson is the winner with two falls to one. Yeah, th- these two are just uh, awesome together, and I- I'd love to see it run back in a in a year or so with maybe bigger stakes, titles on the line, or whatever. Just I'm surprised this was on on the pay per view because this felt pay per view quality. I liked how um, it wasn't to the head, but the spot on the ring post on the outside felt to like the back to the Nigel McGuinness. Yeah, yeah. Match. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really felt they were kind of going for that and just trying to kind of recapture the brutality from that match and kind of bring it to present day. Um, yeah, this was, this was great. And just Garcia, I feel, I feel every time he, he comes out, he's, he's proving himself and just uh, making a better name for himself, even in, in loss here against Danielson, like people are going to keep on talking about this match and these series of matches between these two. He's got such a great swagger about him and just the way he projects the, this attitude that, you just feel like this guy is just full of confidence in this role. And I just think like the association he's had with Chris Jericho, like I'm sure like that's taken on like, like a bit of a, a mentorship role. And Garcia, I think has really taken to this in, in a big way. And you can just see the way he projects himself. It's very evident that, you know, he has put a lot of the pieces together. Uh, Danielson is showing his respect afterwards and holds his hand out. But and Daniel Garcia is about to shake his hand when Jericho leaves the broadcast area and jumps Danielson from behind. And Garcia stops Jericho and the fans cheer. And Jericho starts scolding Garcia, putting his finger in his face. And Garcia swats it away. And Jericho tells him, you better think about this as the fans chant, you're a wrestler. <laughs> Is this the first ever you're a wrestler, John? Uh, it has to be, be. yes. Uh, uh, unbelievable here. So, I mean, um, I don't know if this is just going to be like dangling this for something way down the road when they turn Garcia or if they're going to go further with that. But uh, this will lead to a segment next week where Jericho is going to have a face-to-face with Garcia where he will have to tell him what's whose side he's on. I mean, I think all out's got to be Jericho versus Brian for the custody of Garcia, does it not? Okay. 
I thought you were going to go like a referee or something, uh, the guy who's going to be caught in the middle here. But yes, custody of Daniel Garcia. Could we be. haven't had a good custody match for a long time. I think it's it's time to bring it back. It's been it, it, it's been quite quite a while. Maybe he can like shave his hair or uh, dye his hair blonde. blonde. Yep, <laughs> it would work. He'd work that. They can find that social worker to sit with Daniel Garcia in the front row. <laughs> yeah. So Sh- Shivani is with us. Swerving our glory and private party. Private party are just ecstatic. They're ranked fifth now. And the, Cassidy said that Keith Lee embarrassed me once. He's not going to do it again on Friday. So that is our setup for our tag title match on Friday. Yeah, I I can't say. I'm- <laughs> probably going to watch this one or really re- poor private party but <laughs> they were so happy that they're, 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 they're fifth in our glory like all right you can have this match whatever tony niece and mark sterling came out and you're looking like this is pretty much the end of the first hour and th- this was a hell of an hour um th- this start from that opening promo segment with moxley and punk and then you had danielson and garcia take up pretty much the rest of the show or the rest of the hour and then suddenly niece and sterling come out and you're like what are they shoehorning in here and moxley just takes them both out and he runs into the ring he wants punk right now and jim ross is trying to explain it's not that easy there's contract There's millions of dollars at stake, but Punk emerges from the back and the security and officials are holding them apart. So we get uh, yet another pull apart. And I will say like this very much felt like blowing up the formula of dynamite. Like you don't get like we don't get a whole lot of talking segments opening the show. It's very rare and stuff like this. It's like it, it just felt like they were they were veering away from sort of the, you know, the 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 show format and and it and it felt fresh. Yeah, I, I liked it. First of all, Mox being the biggest baby face here, saving us from a Tony Nese match. And, uh, but yeah. J- Josh Woods was spared, though, your favorite. <laughs> Apparently, uh, I think Sino pointed out it was meant to be Nice versus Sonny Kiss. So Sonny Kiss just missing out on a dynamite match again, um, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, I, I love these pull aparts. I think the, um, the time they've done this before, I remember like Undertake on Brock where that kept on going out on throughout the show. And realistically, yeah, if you're going to want to fight each other, why are you going to, as soon as you're pulled to the side, just go home? I, I like that it was continuous. And we don't get a whole lot of these kind of show-long threads uh, with Dynamite. And it just, uh, yeah, made, made this match feel bigger and bigger throughout the show. Shivani's with Jericho, Menard, and Parker, and Jericho's giving Garcia a pass, and this sets up the segment for next week where Garcia will have to... Uh, uh, dis- uh, Determine where his allegiance lies. And with that, Ricky Steamboat walks in, uh, revisiting his uh, his history with Chris Jericho and says that Daniel Garcia is coming into his own. He doesn't need the Jericho Appreciation Society and that Danielson would be a better mentor. Jericho says, I haven't liked you for 15 years. Stay out of my business. And it peaks with uh, the others leaving and Angelo Parker screaming at Steamboat, grabbing him by the collar so that Steamboat can nail Parker. And... I would imagine that Menard and Parker were both uh, fighting for the spot to be the guy that gets to uh, sell for Ricky Steamboat. Yeah, it, it was cool having Steamboat on the show, and obviously that history with uh, with Jericho from uh, their like WrestleMania and Backlash match was was nice to see them interact here. The Gun Club against the Varsity Blondes. This was short. Uh, Colt hit the or Colton hit the Colt forty five onto Griff. Thirty one seconds it went, and Billy gets into the ring. He says. That's what they need to do. And he notes that he's been hard on his sons, but I'm proud of you. I've done a lot of great things in my career, 
but the one main thing is getting to work next to you. And they have a gun family hug. And then Stokely Hathaway walks out. And I think everyone saw where this was going. Billy's got his back turned to Austin and Colton. He's all confused. And then he gets jumped by his sons. And the acclaimed run down. The guns hightail it out through the crowd. And they check on Billy. Jim Ross yells, quote, For those of us that no longer have a father, this is goddamn pathetic what Austin and Colton have done. And the the tension in the air is alleviated when... Uh, Anthony Bowen says, scissor me, daddy ass. And we got a three-way scissoring to end this segment. And Billy looking to be back with his adopted sons, the acclaimed. It's amazing what a good scissoring can do to cheer you up, right? Your, your sons have just turned your back on you, but all right, get a scissor. It's not so bad. I wasn't as big a fan of this. I think mainly because it's, to me, it was one turn too many in this whole thing that just a few weeks ago, we had the gun club turn on the acclaimed out of nowhere. It's like, all right, you're 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 separating them. And now Billy's like, all forgiven, he's back with them. Like, could we not have just plotted this out for weeks where it's thought of that Stokely is after the acclaimed? Like, the acclaimed would link up with Stokely. And then the big reveal is that, no, it's the guns that are the ones being secretly recruited by Stokely. We get to the same place we are now, but we take out one of those turns in the middle that's pretty much meaningless now when they did that just a few weeks ago. I think, and we had Billy attack the acclaimed as well, have we not? He was part of the attack with the the Suns, and that was only a few weeks ago. It it kind of makes no sense that the acclaimed would have any care in the world about Billy's well-being. Yeah, if Billy was stuck more in the middle, like surprised what his sons did, but well, I'm I'm going to align with them because they're my sons, it would make more sense. But I'm with you, it has... Uh, has been a bit back and forth. He's you could have had Billy the like Jungle Boy of this feud. Uh, sorry, the right. Luchasaurus of this feud almost. Yeah, I think you could have had Billy like doubting the acclaimed and thinking, "Are are you guys jumping ship? Are you leaving?" And it turns out he doesn't even think that it's no. It's my sons that are secretly uh, linking up w- w- with Stokely. But uh, here we are. So uh, a- an added turn in all of this. With uh, I-, I do like kind of the-, the acclaimed and Billy. Like they do have th- this weird chemistry with the three of them. So. That is what we have coming out of this. And then Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutt, and Satnam Singh issue a challenge to FTR and Wardlow at All Out. And Satnam Singh stating, Wardlow, powerbomb me if you're that strong. So that seems to be the whole basis of this match is for Wardlow to give this guy a powerbomb. But um, I guess, you know, it's it's a match for All Out. This sucks. Like, FTR have been so hot this year. And Wardlow, both both of them, I think they both deserve a lot more. Like, we, we've been talking on, on BD Elite, like a, like, a while ago before this trios thing was coming about with Kenny coming back. We thought you could main event with Bucks versus FTR in that winner-takes-all match because both are so hot right now. Sorry, FTR now with is going to face, what, Satnam Singh and Sanjay Dutt? Well, you, uh, I, I don't know if you saw the undercard of the G1 today, but also coming for FTR's IWGP tag titles are Chase Owens and Bad Luck Fale. Oh, wow. Exciting stuff. So they're going to be busy. Yeah, yeah. Th- this, I, I think it's such, it's really unfortunate for Wardlow and FTR, and I, I kind of think they deserve better. Than yeah, it's, it's one where, I mean, we'll see how much time it gets, but it just seems the whole match is built around the powerbomb. And, mm. you know, FTR is sort of just, you know, background players and all this. I'm sure it'll be a fine match. But, yeah, especially when you're talking about what FTR, uh, you know, 
just their latest uh, match with the Briscoes and what they were coming off of. Um, you know, they haven't, it's, it's sort of just, you know, have that big moment and then it's sort of like go to the back burner for a month and then we reheat you up. And that seems to be the, the formula that FTR has found themselves in. Death Triangle promo. Pack addresses Will Ospreay. They're going to determine who the best British wrestler is. Um, uh, it's going to be a hell of a claim after today. I mean, um, Osprey set the bar pretty high earlier in the day. And he's looking forward to next week with his brothers. So this is the match uh, happening next next week, right? With uh, the Death Triangle yes. against Pack and Will Ospreay. Yeah, Jungle- I mean, that should be awesome. I'm uh, it looks excellent. Looking forward to that, yeah. Jungle Boy comes out and he refers to his Christian as a pussy shirt that he has been told he can never wear on TV again and got in trouble for that. But the shirt did hit the nail on the head. He has tried to get his hands on Cage with his hands. His uh, He tried to get him with a chair. He even tried to hit him with a car. And Christian has done nothing about it. Whereas me, I never would have taken that. And says, I could keep keep chasing Christian and at this point, this crowd is giving him the what treatment, and it clearly rattled him at one point where he just stops mid-promo and looks into the crowd, uh, but then got back on track to continue this, um, which was – it was kind of funny because the guy credited with you know starting this what thing was Christian on Steve Austin's voicemail. Oh, is that so? Yes. I thought if they if they were really just off the top of their head, I think Christian could have like worked this in. But Christian interrupts him and says that they said things they didn't mean. And he puts in to Jungle Boy, you got a little personal in, in there, which was rather hilarious given his lines. And he doesn't want to fight or wrestle Jungle Boy. He wants to fix this. The crowd's chanting bullshit. And he says, Jungle Boy, you're like a son to me. And he opens up his arms. Jungle Boy thinks about it, takes him down, attacks him. And dude, he beats the shit out of Christian Cage. He rams his head, I don't know how many times, into the the steps. He bashes his head just over and over, stomps his elbow. Then he goes back to bashing the head into the side of the steps. I mean, this was just violent as hell from uh, Jungle Boy, but uh, that looks to be the all-out direction as expected. Do you see this having any kind of stipulation added to it, like Street Fight or Falls Count Anywhere or something like that, the fact it's got so violent? Um, yeah, no no legal ramifications match. Yes, maybe... Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe they will do because they've kind of introduced that with all these different elements with, you know, the the chairs. I mean, what have we got so far? We've gotten chairs. We've got stairs. We've got cars. It's a yeah different kind of TLC match, I guess. Uh, add the cars in there. I, I feel this this feud has been ready and they're, they're somewhat treading water a bit now. I'm looking forward to the match. I think it's uh, I think it could be great between these two, but. With the weird wrinkle with Luchasaurus, the kind of turn and turning back in the middle, and here I, I didn't think uh, I didn't think Jungle Boy sounded quite as good as he did the other week, where yeah, he had that I really agree. great fired up po- promo. I feel the match is just ready now, so I don't know what they're going to be able to do over the next couple of weeks to kind of keep this because I, I do feel I'm kind of starting to lose a little bit interest with it, um, but. Yeah, I just think it's kind of suffered from being ready kind of a month ago. Wardlow and FTR respond to the challenge issued. Cash says, we came to help Wardlow, not because he needed or wanted help, but we're not going to let him get jumped by those clowns. And we can have a trios match. Wardlow says anyone and everyone gets powerbombed in regards to Sutton Singh. And Dax says that as of 
as of today, right now, I am the best wrestler in the world and proposes a match with Jay Lethal uh, for next week, uh, which so you'll get the uh, the best wrestler in the world and Will Ospreay next week on the same show together. <laughs> Maybe they'll uh, they'll have a discussion. Hey, um, I so. think there's an argument for Dax being uh, one of the best wrestlers of the year. Absolutely. He's, he's had I, a phenomenal year. Yeah, I think him and uh, him and Jay Lethal could be pretty good. I, I do. I'm just looking at pro wrestling tees uh, right now. Um, the shirt Dax was wearing today was awesome, um, but it doesn't look like it's on sale. I think well, you, you can you can keep your eyes out for it. Yes, yeah. this was uh, quite quite the throwback. Kylan King against Tony Storm. They show uh, Thunder Rosa watching in the back. Uh, Storm got out of the way of a, of a drop kick, and King lands a, a knee off of the second turnbuckle, sending Storm to the floor. Uh, but then Storm tries a tornado DDT. That's blocked, and she's run into the apron and guardrail. We go through the break. Uh, Storm's draped on the corner, running knee to the ribs, uh, but then comes back from that. Uh, King manages to slam her down. Storm kicks out, release German, and then... The Sweet Cheeks Music, which is the name now for her running hip attack that just looks like it takes people's heads off. Swinging DDT and then the Pendulum DDT and Tony Storm wins in six minutes and 48 seconds. And Thunder Rosa gave the most uh, uninspired clapping uh, in the back, looking like she is cheering for her friend, knowing that the camera's on her, but is not all that thrilled about it. And then they announced Thunder Rosa against Tony Storm for All Out. Yeah, uh, I, I thought this was a pretty solid match between the two but just suffered a little from lack of stakes probably being the the least important match on the show um i i and i feel that's an issue with uh with the women uh it never feels a big deal uh it's very rare that we get those kind of you know thunder rosa brit baker matches which feel like a a big main event whereas every week i feel on the the men's side we're talking about oh we get Danielson Garcia this week. We get um, like Moxley and uh, Jericho last week, Moxley and Punk next week. And this being the only women's segment on the show and kind of Kylan King not being a like permanent. Not not someone everyone's going to be as familiar with. And I think... I think it's tough to do these ty- types of matches where kind of you understand like it's a, it's a setup match to give Tony a win and you're going to stretch it over over a commercial break. I, I think I think that's tough. And and the crowd sees like the the drop in, in star power when you're talking about someone that, you know, a lot of people in this crowd are, you know, unless you're you're a dark viewer. And that's going back a while now when Kylan King was a regular on it. They're not going to know who it is. But, um, you know, it's. Kind of, it was just like your stepping stone match for Tony Storm. It gets her this win uh, to set up Thunder Rosa and Tony Storm for All Out, which I, I do believe that will be a very strong match that those two have. Do you do you see them just going this almost heel direction with, with Thunder Rosa that they're kind of hinting at now that they're kind of playing this up that she is trying to keep Tony Storm close because she knows that she's a threat to her title? I think it's the time to do it. I, I don't sense Thunder Rosa is getting those huge reactions she was getting. Uh, because there was a period like going to, I'm remembering Grand Slam last year, people were really into Thunder Rosa and kind of uh, singing the song and everything. You don't seem to get that quite as much anymore. So I think it would be a good time to turn her um, before kind of the crowd just completely sour on her. Um, and then you have Tony as a clear baby face going for that title. And we have seen this match before, haven't we? They they have had yes. uh, this before, but... Um, yeah, uh, I can't say it's it's I think it needs work this feud for sure. 
The Trustbusters and Best Friends, there was a video hyping up Friday's trios match uh, with Sonny Kiss alongside the, the Trustbusters after joining them last Friday on Rampage. And then we get the roll call from Excalibur. So Friday's Rampage has the Trustbusters against the Best Friends, the returning Penelope Ford against Athena. Hook defends the FTW title against Zach Clayton. Swerve in Our Glory defend the tag titles against Private Party. And Claudio Castagnoli will speak. Great. <laughs> Does this register on the Davy Portman scale? Not really. I, I did enjoy the uh, the best friends uh, promo. It was, it was fun when they go uh, like after three and all of them <laughs> trios championship <laughs> tournament and Orange is just trios tournament. Uh, found that quite funny, but yeah, it, it, it's got to take something huge for me to really tune into Rampage. Sometimes I I throw it on kind of Saturday day whilst doing other stuff, but um, I don't. I, I guess I got to see these trust busters at some point. Well, fr- Friday night seems to be their uh, that their home, their home. At least for for the time being. Well, maybe maybe they were worried that we're not going to grab Davey Portman on on Friday. So how can we get his attention for next Wednesday? So we've got the Death Triangle against Will Osprey and Aussie Open, Dax Harwood against Jay Lethal. And we're going to do CM Punk against John Moxley for the undisputed championship and I think everyone just like shook their head at huh? I yeah, I don't get it. Um, I mean, this is huge. This looks like a. You've already got Osprey on the show, which is uh, that trios match is going to be nuts. Um, but yeah, doing this next week, they. I mean, what what do you theorize here? Uh, what, what's the all out? I, I have to imagine that they're doing. Like, I really can't see them doing this kind of a match on on free television to lead to some disputed finish that just you run it back at the pay-per-view. I guess there's that chance, but I just, I read this as they're going a different direction for all out. And whether that's um, the hangman tease that they just brought out at at the beginning, whether it's a different opponent that they have in mind, something um, I, I don't have an answer for you. This I think caught everybody off guard that you're doing this next week. And Man, I just I watched this show. I'm like, man, you've got a solid pay per view main event. Like this feels you got a couple more weeks of this and Punk in Chicago on the go home TV to go into this. Like, man, you're you're going to be in great shape with this main event. This, um, so I mean, this is one where I think everyone will be very curious because your option A is pretty damn strong. So what is option B? MJF. Perhaps. I mean, that's something you can heat up very quickly because the feud is already there with Punk. But then then what, what is Mox doing? You've got two of your, your biggest stars in a match against each other. And then you've got to find something else for them to do in the next two weeks. It seems very odd. Um, P- P- Punk and MJF do have the history, too, in Chicago. Um, yeah. That just, man, it, it feels really rushed because whatever this uh, is, we're not going to know it until next week. And... If you're shooting this angle at the end of the show, like we're talking like you have you have 10 days be before the pay-per-view. But if, if it's something like I, I don't think they're doing this without, you know, a solid belief that whatever we have planned, it's big enough. And if you have something incredible to do, um, you know, 10 days will be enough if it's hot enough for, for people. Um, it's just it certainly caught many people off guard that they're doing this in seven days. I mean, we did see this time last year was the. Uh christian kenny match they'd already announced that for all out and they they gave right. us the match on tv earlier on that on that first rampage so P- punk only showed up like two weeks again 
Punk was only there like two weeks or so before the pay-per-view. So it was like, you know, everything came together pretty, um, you know, just in those last couple of weeks. But, um, yeah, it's, it's certainly a very curious decision. And, I mean, Taz was already pumping this up, the biggest match in Dynamite history. And this sounds like they're um, – this, this feels like it's going to be something very big next week, whatever um, – Whatever, whatever they they can muster. Like last week, Jericho and Moxley was built up very strong, and they they were number one on cable. But it was also not um, it's not like they they blew the roof off their their numbers either. Uh, but this this is certainly going to test that of sort of what is your upper bound limit of what people are going to tune into because this feels like a, a very 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 big match for next week in Cleveland. Yeah, I mean, if Punk does, you could go Punk and MJF, and then Mox teams with Danielson to take on Garcia and Jericho, maybe. It just, it all seems a step down. It's it's very odd. And then the main event is Andrade El Idolo, Roosh, and Dragon Lee. They come out, followed by the Young Bucks, and the it's just quiet. The crowd starts buzzing, and Justin Roberts opens up the uh, the the paper to read the introduction, and he goes into the Kenny Omega lengthy laundry list of accolades, and this place just goes nuts as a battle cry hits. And out comes Kenny alongside Michael Nakazawa and Don Callis, who joins commentary. And Kenny Omega is coming out, and he's wearing this uh, like like dry fit shirt with like his shoulder wrapped up. And I felt like this was all like actually really well thought out that this was Kenny Omega coming back. He's not a hundred percent, and he kind of worked the match that way. Mm. And it kind it kind of just escalated uh, th- throughout. So uh, the crowd goes absolutely insane for Omega. He's tagged in with a Dragon Lee, and Jose distracts as Rush and Andrade uh, double team Kenny, getting the heat as they go to the break. Um, the Elite come back with a triple team vertical suplex. Crowd, th- this crowd was dude. They were just going to go nuts for anything that Kenny Omega does. Any of the callback spots, like in actuality, this could have been the easiest match Kenny Omega worked because he could do so little, and this crowd was going to go nuts for. Or just about anything that, that he did. Um, Andrade, Roosh, and Lee take over again. Uh, we go through another picture-in-picture. Picture. Uh, at one point, Roosh pulls up on the bull's horns, just kicking Matt in the face. And Matt comes back with a big super kick, hot tag to Kenny, and he hits three snap dragons. And he doesn't fully get the grip on the first one. And I think if you go back and watch this, like there's all these little subtle things that he seemed to be doing that were just making things off. And maybe I'm giving too much credit here, but it kind of was the story I was following here that... Kenny was just trying to work like a step off and things were not as smooth as he usually makes them out to be. And then the announcers just call this out stating he isn't a hundred percent yet. And the Bucks hit double super kicks, then a triple version. Uh, Andrade makes the save to Lee and Kenny's starting to play like he likes blowing up when he's tagged and signals for the Terminator uh, dive, but he gets stopped by Dragon Lee on the first attempt on the second, his knee gives out. And then on a third try, Jose trips him. So he never gets to hit the dive and then they place kenny onto the guardrail i was like what are they gonna do and dragon lee hits one of the most frightening dives i've ever seen in my life i thought kenny omega was dead i thought dragon lee was not far from that state uh this was absolutely insane and the kid in the front row. Dude, the, the fans were all like, like they, they did separate the guardrail from the fans, but not by a crazy no. margin. <laughs> like this, I would have been running for the hills, dude, if uh, the, this, this spot was being done around me. But um, th- th- this was absolutely insane. Like, I, I was frightened watching this thing. 
yeah, th- this was stunning. It was the the like Conhilo through the ropes and oh. just as you said, no one moving. It this the speed at which great. this went at. Like I, I just it, I can't describe and and do it justice. But it was just jaw dropping. This dive. Um, so you're thinking like that. That's going to be the end of Kenny in the in the match. But he he would return. Uh, Lee hits a jumping leaping Rana to Nick off the apron after this insane dive. Andrade does the double moonsault, getting a two count on Omega, and then Andrade hits the hammerlock DDT. Matt shoves Roosh on top to break it up. Omega manages a V-trigger to Lee and then struggles and finally gets Lee up and manages the one-winged angel and he wins in 20 minutes and 53 seconds. So it is the Bucks and Kenny Omega advancing in the trios tournament. But uh, did, did you come away the same? Like it felt like the big story of this is like Kenny. It, like the story is they thought that they could get Hangman Page and a week ago they're turned down and then Kenny calls them up and he's coming back too soon and. That's kind of where it, it's like a, a less than optimal Kenny Omega that is part of this team. Which, no, I, I took away exactly the same. Um, kind of reiterating what I said about the, the Danielson match earlier, where you know about the, the history and, and Callus is kind of talking on commentary of everything he needed fixing up during this time and detail of wearing the shirt and just looking a little rough around the edges. Also kind of, justifies him being in a trios tournament where I, I know I've been one of those people going, you've got Kenny Omega. Why, why would you not have him on your bigger show in, in a singles? Um, and just, I think you've now got that terminated dive spot where I think the next round match, he shouldn't hit it either. This should be a thing that builds up to our all out. He finally, you know, shirt comes off and he hits the terminator dive. Uh, I, and the, the one-winged angel at the end I thought was quite interesting, how he really struggled. He was using the ropes to get him up on his shoulders and everything. Uh, I thought it was definitely a, like an interesting uh, thing to add on this match, which you knew already that, uh, like, LA, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Rouge, Andrade, Dragon Lee, the Bucks, Kenny, like, it was going to be great. But I think it added something extra to this match. Yeah, it, it's certainly, like, a very, I, I would say... Uh, somewhat challenging um, role for Kenny Omega, like come out and be a lesser version of yourself. And I mean, I I think if you're, if you're like real paying close attention, the guy coming out in the shirt, like you can see, like this is where they're going. And it's really not till halfway during the match that the announcers are kind of, telling this story and they do the obvious knee buckle. But if you watch the first half of this match, there's a lot of little things Kenny was doing that kind of set this all up that it was actually quite a masterful performance when it's like, you're taking a guy like Kenny Omega and saying, wrestle like a worse version of yourself. And, and I'm sure he sees this as like, this is a a compelling story to do. And to to your point, kind of watching this rehabilitation of Kenny Omega um, over the weeks, if not months of this guy trying to bring himself back up to as close to a hundred percent. So it was, it was a very interesting match to watch uh, from that sense. This crowd loved it. And, then um, just as I'm uh, grabbing all my my stuff to come into the room, Andrade hits Dragon Lee with a hammerlock DDT. His mask falls off. The elite are concerned about this. We got to go. We're out of here. It's like, what? I had whiplash after this. Yeah, I, I didn't think this was needed at all. Uh, <laughs> Dra- Dragon Lee, has he been on AEW before? I don't think so. Not on AEW. He was on Ring of Honor. Yeah, so he's not a character that we're necessarily familiar with. I mean, it, was it just a way to write him off so he's not there anymore? I, I don't think this was needed at all. 
Like it, Roosh brought his brother in to help in the trios. That's you don't need to like turn on him at the end. It, it was very odd, uh, and especially with not really any time to breathe with the the Kenny victory or or anything. It, it was like that should have been really like odd that way sh- to finish the show. Yeah, I really felt it was like squeezing something in that wasn't going to have the desired impact um, that you would want, like something like that. Okay, Andrade's turning on Roosh, or sorry, on on Dragon Lee. Um, I just think you know this. Everyone's attention was on Kenny. It's like let that digest with your fans, and boom, you do this other angle that um, I, I don't know how much it resonated with, with people. If I'm sure there were people that you know might not have even caught it. It was that short. It was literally like the last ten seconds of the show. Yeah, it was odd. I did notice Kenny was checking on Dragon Lee uh, at the end as well, but before the turn, I mean. Right. Uh, after Pin, he was kind of chatting to him. But yeah, very odd. So this was quite a quite the dynamite. Um, I, I thought the, I, I thought overall, like it, it was a pretty exciting show to watch. I thought the first hour was outstanding. Um, the main event was really enjoyable too as well like i i thought this was like a really strong episode uh, of dynamite but you're also left with like a lot of questions about where they are going mainly the the punk moxley stuff but that's that's not a bad thing i think it's going to add uh, a lot of curiosity and speculation over the next week that that's going to hype up like what is a major major television match for them it definitely seems a deliberate thing from tony khan because i the last few pay-per-views, I feel we've been saying this like a few weeks out going, what is the what is the final card? And then by that final rampage, you have 14 matches announced. Um, but yeah, it's the, the Mox Punk thing is very odd. And I'd be really interested to hear other people's thoughts on it, where we're going, whether they're running it back at, uh, in Chicago or not. Well, that's why Davey Portman's a professional for that segue, because now we want to hear from you and what you had to say about Dynamite. Uh, first off, a couple of super chats here uh, from the EVP of Talent Relations. A 10 out of 10 Dynamite. Kenny's home. Well, thank you very much. Our favorite, Brandon from New Jersey. I think Andrade is turning on Dragon Lee. Uh, thank you, Nostradamus. We appreciate it, as always. Brandon from New Jersey. Okay, let's go on over to uh, forum.postwrestling.com. Do uh, you want to go back and forth with feedback here, David? Yeah, sure. I've got it here. All right. First one is Benjamin. Uh, that punk promo was fire. And that smooch from Mox, the smooch. Overall, good show, good matches. Still not enough women being featured. It's exhausting. Yeah, I think pizza cutters were definitely the thing in wrestling in 2021. I, I think it's the smooch uh, in 2022. Uh, definitely seems to be, be used a lot. Um, we go to Johnny, who says, great episode with a phenomenal promo segment with Punk and Mox and an excellent two-out-of-three falls match with Garcia getting elevated even more. Now I'm baffled as to why we are getting Mox versus Punk next week. If this was another company, it just screams non-finished DQ, but we don't get that in AEW, so why book it? Also, it's in Ohio, so you can't just beat Mox there. I'm glad Kenny is back, and I hope it's just playing up him returning or actual rust, but Kenny did not like look as good as he usually does. Now I'm not expecting main event Omega off the bat, but maybe he has returned a bit early. Overall, I'm liking the road to all out. I think that was the complete intention that they were go- going for to to try and tell. Uh, next up, we go to uh, her niece. Great start to the show. Surprising that Moxley and Punk are having their match next week. This has to lead to a DQ. Screwy finish, right? I, I don't think so. I don't think they're going to put a match like that on TV and and give you that kind of a finish. I think people are kind of preconditioned to that. Um, 
in a WWE setting, um, I just think that would come across so uh, poorly to this audience that has really been conditioned that, you know, matches get endings and doing a match this big that um, you, ha- you have to end it on, on a big positive note. Could you do the time limit draw? Or is that, have they done that a couple too many times? It's an option. I guess, I guess the question would be, what is the benefit of doing this match on television and then bringing it back again at the pay-per-view as opposed to having that, that first AEW meeting at, at the pay-per-view? Like what, what is the benefit of doing it, you know, for, you know, thir- 30 or 60 minutes on mm-hmm. TV first? Yeah. Um, we go to, uh, Hadela Cruz, who says, great start to the show. Surprising that Mox and Punk are having their match next week. Oh, sorry. That's what you just read, isn't it? Oh, so I, I didn't finish uh, Hermes's oh, okay. here. Uh, uh, Hermes. Um, he just ends. Uh, Thoughts on what could be the match at All Out? Uh, we we kind of went over that. Uh, hinting at Eddie versus CM Punk at Arthur Ashe Stadium. I definitely expect Eddie Kingston to be in something significant at Arthur Ashe Stadium. Punk would be very, very significant. And ends it here. Uh, was the ending expected because the camera almost didn't catch it? Um, I imagine so. I don't think uh, Andrade just felt like uh, DDTing him uh, out of his uh, mask. So I-, I think it was intentional. We go to Chris in Ottawa who says, Hello, my friends. Charleston got a lot more than they bargained for tonight. I'm instantly intrigued by the angle involving Kenny. No one asked for any predictions, let alone mine, but I think Kenny eventually cost the team. The Bucks turn on him. Kodra Bushi saves Kenny. And the Golden Lovers reunite one last time. America could use some golden love right now. Also intrigued by, but somewhat troubled by Punk Moxley occurring next week rather than at the pay-per-view. Seems hot-shotted, though I suspect there's more afoot than meets the eye. Last, happy birthday to my brother Trevor, who turns 36 on Saturday. Well... Happy birthday, Trevor. Happy birthday, Trevor. Um, I, I would be nearly positive that this is because they have, you know, a bigger option for for all out. I, I don't think this is a case of, you know, they they are not under, you know, you you always want your your television viewership to be, you know, at, at a certain level. I mean, they are they are winning every Wednesday night during during this this period. I think next week they would have been number one regardless of this match happening or not. So I, I really don't feel um, that's the case at all. This is a company that, you know, pay-per-view, they only do four of them a year. I guess uh, fifth if you had Forbidden Door. But pay-per-view is a big revenue generator for them. So they are going to make sure that they have, you know, as big a pay-per-view as possible. And this is also the one where it's it's the highest number to hit to try and beat last year's number. Like that, that streak is going to be very tough to extend. Um, so... Yes, that'll be the big question for next week. Brian in New Jersey writes, Outstanding first hour of the show between the Punk and Moxley's uh, War of Words and Danielson and Garcia putting on another tremendous match. I'm a big fan of this angle of Danielson trying to save Garcia's wrestler soul. Happy to see Kenny Omega back in the mix, but also concerned because of how he may be physically and because of Don Callis being back by his side. Very curious where this babyface trio win with heel uh, with heel seconds goes. I'm guessing Punk and Moxley next week will be something small to lead to something bigger at All Out, maybe throwing in Hangman Page to make it a three-way. We go to Noah from Vaughn, who says, love this episode so much. Danielson and Garcia is right up there with some of the best matches in Dynamite history. Main event was bonkers in all the right ways. And even if Kenny isn't 100%, seeing him wrestle again was so awesome. A couple of interesting decisions heading into the pay-per-view with Mox and Punk being announced for next week. I feel the most obvious is a returning MJF. And I feel like this could be an opportunity for a ready Q finish. 
which would put a ton of heat on MJF for spoiling the match. Also, I got to say, I'm actually kind of happy FTR aren't challenging Swerve in our glory for the titles just yet. They've only been champions for about a month, and I'd like to see them have some sort of meaningful feuds before dropping the belts. That is one outcome of doing a DQ that would work, I, I yeah. think. Like that would be big enough that people would would accept the DQ. That it really goes against the fabric of AEW that this guy is me- messing up the, this giant match. But I guess the question from there is what is what is the follow up there? Is it um, Punk and Moxley get booked again for the pay per view? Is MJF back into into hiding or is he back on on the pay per view? But um, yeah, that, that that would be one way out of this match if you, if you wanted to do it um, that direction, depending on w- what the the match becomes at the pay per view. Uh, Jordan from the Bronx. I'll kind of uh, skim through this. Punk and Moxie was a great promo to start the show, but I didn't like the Hangman call out going unanswered, especially being in West Virginia, his home base. Hangman comes off cowardly, which is not what he needs right now since he hasn't wrestled much since losing the title. I would almost be assured that there will be. Um, a response from Hangman that they don't just leave that uh, hanging there. Uh, that aside, the promo was biting and personal, which played well into their multiple brawls during the show. Uh, what didn't work for me was Jungle Boy. The crowd kind of got to him, but I've got a, I got a kick out of his school teacher shameful stare back at the crowd, which actually stopped the what chance? Eat your heart out, Undertaker. Danielson and Garcia was amazing stuff. One of my favorite TV matches this year. The subtle yet expected return of Kenny Omega started great up until you saw all the new protective gear that he's wearing now. Seeing him in the compression top and the stone cold grade shoulder brace made me feel uncomfortable. Like, again, this was all a, like <laughs> he's he's. Putting all this on because I think you want to convey this, um, th- th- this whole thing. Like, I don't think, um, like, I do believe this is all like the, the story. And not to say that I'm sure this guy is, um, uh, 100% may not even be in his, uh, uh, possible, uh, given, given all that this guy has gone through. But I, I feel this is, this is very much, um, the, the, the feeling he, they wanted you to have. Either way, fun match, show overall was, uh, a uh, very strong show. The ending seemed rushed as the cameras caught Kevin Dunn's syndrome and cut to multiple shots at once while Andrade turned on Dragon Lee. Eight daddy-ass scissors out of ten. We go to Mr. Kane, who says, very good show tonight. Like the book ending of the pop, punk mox angle at the start of the second hour. Very smart, although I was definitely clamoring for more physicality. Awesome match between Garcia and Danielson. Garcia just grows, uh, continues to grow exponentially before our eyes. And the organic, you're a wrestler chance as he stood between Danielson and Jericho was perfect. Omega's return and the selling of all his injuries really brought into question the possibility of the trio making it into the finals. Love the adversity story building to make the eventual victory so much more meaningful. Okay, last two here. Cody from Maine. Another classic first half to an episode of Dynamite. Not to say the second half was of poor quality. On a show where the presumed all-out main event was announced for next week, Kenny Omega returned and Daddy Ass scissored his way back into our hearts. My biggest takeaway was the crowning of the company's top new heel. The guy on the floor with the massive sign. Yeah, dude, this guy had... He was facing the hard camera and he had like a... uh a refrigerator box uh, that he had just folded out to have this gigantic sign that I can't imagine what these people who paid for floor seats had to uh, look at for a long portion of the show. And finally, we go to Magan, who says, an effectively bookended dynamite with the punk Moxley promo and the return of Omega in the main event. The middle of the show was strong with Danielson Garcia shutting it down with their excellent two out three falls match and the post-match aftermath with a conflicted Garcia surrounded by you're a wrestler chance was tremendous. I'd bet that Jericho Garcia will be the match for all out. 
Women's matches once again in the 9.30 death slot must be a day that ends in Y. I'm pretty leery about Kenny returning with Den- Don Callis tagging along. Cole Red Dragon betraying the Bucks constitutes Kenny going babyface. Does anyone see Punk Moxley having a real finish next week? Um, I, I would say I would say it's certainly possible unless you're yeah shooting an angle that would necessitate doing a non-finish, which would be very very rare, especially for such a big match. Um, so there you go. That is all of the feedback. Thanks to everybody for uh, sending in your thoughts on the show, as well as joining us in the uh, in the uh, the chat uh, discussing tonight's episode of the show. I am going to be back on Thursday. Once again, the G1 Climax final podcast will be Thursday at 1 Eastern for Post Wrestling Cafe members. And then the wellness policy and a free edition of MCU Later are going to be dropping. And looking ahead to next week, uh, a programming note. We are not going to be doing Rewind to Raw on Monday night. Instead, Braden and I will be doing it live on Tuesday at noon Eastern time. So note the special start time uh, because Braden, Davey, and I will be going to Raw Monday night and uh looking forward to watching a three-hour edition of raw live oh yeah we're we're getting our signs ready to take as as we speak uh john john we've got some lovely title belts here i think i think we should uh give you one for the for the big event this is going to be quite the experience i i might do a whole separate <laughs> show on my night out with Braden and davy <laughs> what i learned <laughs> that's the podcast everybody wants uh so I, i'm looking forward to uh, hanging out with you guys next monday and we will uh if any of you are in the toronto area uh come come say hello um unless Braden does not like any kind of interaction with fans so stay steer clear of him but me and davy are yeah. we're, we're, we're safe to be around to us. yeah all right. That's going to wrap it all up, Davey. Thank you so much uh, for, for jumping in, uh, carrying, the, carrying the load as, uh, as Braden let you down tonight. You were very, ah, uh, what's new? What's new, eh? Uh, no, this has been fun. I've, I've really enjoyed the last uh, three weeks chatting Dynamite with you, John, and looking forward to Raw. Yes. So there you, there you have it. Uh, thanks to everyone for joining us. That's going to wrap up the show. All of the latest news can be found at postwrestling.com. And check out Andrew Thompson's new interview with Chris Hero, the rematch between them. They had a great interview last year, and uh, they just did a follow-up. So that dropped on uh, – uh, you can uh, link to it from postwrestling.com. It's also up on Andrew Thompson interviews on YouTube. So that is going to wrap things up. Thank you to everybody for joining us here for Rewind to Dynamite. <laughs>